so it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hello and welcome back to episode 63 of the Running Rugby podcast and we've had a couple of weeks away, a whole bunch of games to go through, uh, another two new number ones in the world for world rugby after results over the last couple of weekends as well and one more Wallabies game to talk about, a little bit of what we expected and what we didn't want to see but that's the last game for a few of these teams before the World Cup in two weeks but before we get into all that, let's go through some of these results that we missed. And we'll start back two weeks ago. We've had France taking down Italy, 47-19. Uruguay starting strong events against Brazil, 43-5. Fiji took down Tonga in Eden Park in New Zealand, 29-19. Wales went down to Ireland in Cardiff, 17-22. Though it was a weakened Wales team. Georgia losing to Scotland. And that was one of the first uh, Tier 1 ranked nations going over to Georgia to play an international game. Japan hosted South Africa, and South Africa putting it to bed a few demons from last World Cup there, 41-7. And then Scotland on the return trip took down Georgia again, 36-9. England beating Italy, 37-0. And the last couple of games, New Zealand taking down Tonga, 92-7. Australia beating Samoa, 34-15. And Ireland beating Wales on the return trip in Dublin, 19-10, which made Ireland the world number one after New Zealand had... Had it for a week after Wales losing the previous week to Ireland. Boys, any any games there you want to highlight before we get into the Wallabies? No, Toby mentioned it. The um, two losses for Wales against Ireland is a pretty shaky way to come into a, a World Cup, particularly when they've had such a strong start to the year with the Six Nations. Yeah, uh, they had the wood on a few different teams, and this is a real setback for them. Yeah, well, they've gone from 14 games in a row or so to losing three of the last four games they've played now going into this World Cup. So it's a a big bit of worry, I think. And especially, obviously, they had the injury to Gareth Anscombe uh, in that England game earlier. So that hurt their chance at number 10. But the the last game, they were playing their more or less full-strength team against Ireland and couldn't get over it. And Ireland looked like they're trying to capture a little bit more momentum. I think just the depth in Wales at the moment is a little bit of a problem for them and they've lost that momentum. I mean, having such a, a long run of success, to maintain that into a World Cup is difficult, particularly when you lose your first choice 10. And I don't know, I'm, I'm less worried about them than I was, say, three months ago. They're definitely coming off the boil a bit. Um, and we know Ireland has a bit of class about them and they're probably coming back into form. So it is interesting and... Um, look, it does make me worry less. I think Fiji might be a bit of a trap game, but I reckon we can get up against Wales. As a Wallabies fan, I reckon we're going to be in good stead mm. in the pools. I think definitely without Gareth Anscombe and this this rough trot in, I think Wales feels a lot less scary. I know we've kind of got them. Um, we've lost we've, the we've lost we've the... been there, but we've been their bogey team for a long time. Yeah. Um, so in in the last ten matches, haven't we won nine out of ten? So yeah, um, except for the last that, one, I think. Yeah, yeah, except for last year. So 
look, really, with someone like Anscombe falling out and, and the shaky lead in, um, unless they have a particularly strong uh, set of combinations playing through before they see us in the rounds, I, um, I, don't, I don't worry about Wales too much anymore. The other thing that's interesting, I thought, just looking across all these games, the Tier 1 nations and the teams they've been playing. So some, some teams have resorted to sort of a second-string team for some games sought to rest players mm. obviously everyone's got certain injuries and wear and tear they're dealing with so opportunity there to give guys a break leading into the world cup keep them fresh uh my personal take on on this i i, I sort of think you've, you've spent a long time building up to the world cup it's a four-year cycle i'd really like to see the best teams for each country playing continuously week in week out uh, they've only had a game or two in the, in the month leading into the World Cup, so there's not that much opportunity for injuries. But there's so much value in in playing your combinations and working on the fine aspects of of the, your game. Whereas if you start playing these odd combinations, and I mean the Wallabies had a few swan songs that they decided to throw out there against Samoa this weekend, I just don't think it, it lends anything in your preparation. Well, I know we talked about what we wanted to see from this Wallabies team, and it wasn't the first line team that we were expecting to see. And it seemed like the story before pre-match was we're still testing some combinations, we're still giving guys go. And it's a little bit disappointing because it's the same line that has been trotted out time and time again over the last 12 months. And we're always sort of had that mythical goal of we're going to have this team set for the World Cup. And I think that we kind of do have a team set, but... Now that team's going to be running out against Fiji after suffering a really big loss against New Zealand in Eden Park because the team that we saw on the weekend is not going to resemble our team in the World Cup. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't help that um, we've also now played some backup guys who would be our first drop in event of a, an injury or, a, or some other misfortune. And now also they don't have that much confidence because they look like a a group of misfits running around half the time in that game. There were some good moments, and I think the line-out particularly was a strength, um, though maybe it was Samoa's weakness. But the, the different um, individuals out there, some very patchy performances and, and not the sort of stuff you want to help build confidence coming in to the World Cup. And if we look at... Look, if we want to look at the starting team now for the Wallabies, has anything really changed for you guys in terms of what you were thinking before the Samoa game, because I understand your thinking about, you know, keeping that consistency with the lineup and picking um, your first choice players. And New Zealand did that more or less with their game against Tonga, although they've kind of rested Rich Moonga a bit. But in terms of what that He's dynamic got an injury. was looking like, yeah. He's or, got a sore yeah. shot. And South Africa played their full strength team too. Yeah. I think, it, look, I would have been more happy to have a few guys rested, two or three, maybe guys like Karevi and Hooper, but the rest really play these guys out and keep those combinations forming. Um, I didn't see a lot of good things from guys like Tamua. Foley looked a bit rusty. Um, I mean, it was good to see Pocock back. But he, he wasn't particularly influential. Um, probably Dempsey was one of the guys that stood out to me. But but overall, yeah, not a great look for the Wallabies coming into the World Cup, even though I think they got a, a decent amount of support out there at Bank West. Um, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a, yeah, I don't know. I, I just expected more from them, really. Yeah, it's hard when you've just seen, or earlier in the day, whether you watched it or not, you would have may have heard of the All Blacks taking down Tonga by such a convincing margin, 92-7. to 7. 
even playing with 14 men for the last 15 minutes, they, they didn't manage to score another point when they went down to 14 men. And then Australia, and we actually did look troubled at times by Samoa. I think our forwards stood up for the most part. There was a bit of time in the second half where our scrums took a bit of a hiding, actually, from some of the Samoan reserves, uh, Elo, Elo Amil um, and also Motumatu coming in for the reserve front row for Samoa really helped. Um, I think the main positives I saw that it reaffirmed people like James Slipper is a very worthy sort of starting slash backup to Scott Co. that's absolutely locked in. Um, it doesn't give me any second questions about our first two line hookers because you, Elise, though, managed to stay injury-free. wasn't anything amazing. Kepu, once again, is a reasonable backup that we can use in a pinch uh, if we do get some injuries. Um, but And then second rows, as you said, in the lineouts were not too bad. And the biggest thing for Pocock, I think, just getting through 58 minutes of play uh, with no injuries, that's what you want to see. He tested the calf. The calf looks good. Yeah, he didn't get a bunch of turnovers, but he was still involved in the game, a bit more in the attacking game as well, some good passes. So that's all That's all positives for the Wallabies, I think. Do you want to run through what your team would, or what our team we think should be against Fiji coming into the World Cup now that we've seen the last of these games? Um, I know we kind of touched on it last pod, but is it worth kind of looking at maybe positions that are still a little bit up in the air and, and see what we think amongst our, our views of that. Yeah, we can definitely run through that. We've got, I mean, stop me if you guys have anything different, but I think we're all agreed that we're going to have Co Tolu, Alalatoa as our front row. We're going to have Rodder and Arnold as our second row. Uh, we're going to have Izzy Nicerani at eight, Hooper at seven, six. We might still have questions at, at six around Salakai Lotto, but Lucan has played six starting in every game for the Wallabies this season. The only player to start in the same position in all five tests for the Wallabies so far this year. And play all minutes. And I look, I think it's still a position that we need to be closely looking at. But I think the coaching or even the selection panel seem to think that he's the guy for the job. The guy runs into contact too high every time. I think he's good with set piece. But around the field, I think he just lacks a bit of rugby smarts and doesn't seem to really use his body, his size to his advantage enough. I think mm. that he kind of lacks sometimes aggression in contact and um, just makes some some poor handling errors sometimes. And I don't know, I, I would still like to see Dempsey get some time there at six, but that may impact our success at line-out time and things like that. So you can see around set piece, I think that's been working. It's just general play. I think Lucan still could do more. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think there's potential there if, if Dempsey does get played at six. Uh, I know in, in the weekend he was playing at eight, but um, he, he could certainly work his way in through the the easier games. If he's just playing out of his skin and showing really good form and Lucan isn't quite doing it for us, I could see a change being made mm. through the pools. So Dempsey still has an opportunity to earn that spot. I don't see anyone else who does really unless they suddenly start um, mixing things up to try and get Pocock out in the starting lineup, not something I'd do. I, I just know that there's there's always a, a strong feel like, oh, you know, when he's healthy, Pocock's just a, a game changer. And, and should he be in the starting lineup, is there a way to work him in with Hooper, obviously, as the incumbent captain? I'm comfortable leaving him on the bench, uh, give him a good 25 30 if you, if you need it uh, late in the game. Yeah, I think that's fair. And 
going back to Lucan, someone just needs to sit him down looks in a dark room just with a film of Artie Savia running because the dude is a very similar shape. He's probably a bit taller than Artie, but they're both really big human beings. But you see, every time Artie goes into contact, he gets his arm down low and shoulders and almost is trying to shoulder charge the guy who's coming in to tackle him. And he always gets through that first and always makes 10 metres easily. And you see, like, Izzy Nitharani does it, and Lucan should be able to do it as well. Massive leg drive out of Artie Savia. Like, just, yeah. the, just the determination not to allow that first contact around the legs to actually stop him from running. He's just driving his knees through and you, you actually have to stop them moving. You can't he won't just take the contact and go, okay, I'm going down. Like I'm I'm being tackled. He, he yeah, just refuses. He's always to aiming take it. to run ten meters past the first to tackle. So going on to the back line arch, what do you think? Run us down with that. Well I think while Genia had some flashes on the weekend, he didn't do enough to outdo what we've seen from Nick White. Um, I was, I think we were all a little bit disappointed with Foley's uh, poise on the ball. He didn't quite look like he was making the same sort of trends and attacking the line as much. The whole back line seemed to be going sideways a little bit and whether that's a, a issue with not having Karevi in there and not having someone to straighten up the attack. But I'd, I'd stick with Nick White, Leliafano, especially with Foley missing... Uh, four of his six kicks on the weekend as well. Yeah, he was yeah. getting absolutely smashed off the ball. So he was he was certainly um, under the pump and credit to him, he, he stuck with it. But he just didn't look as silky as he as he has in the past. And, and that can be perhaps some of the combinations that we haven't seen spend enough time together in a match situation. But if Genier and Foley were our, at the start of the year, Genier and Foley were our first pick for 9-10. I don't think anyone would have thought that that was going to change or was very likely to change. Um, certainly, they've had a lot of game time together. If those two can't get a bit of momentum back you know, against a Tier 2 team like Samoa, then I, I think we're in the right spot leaning towards Nick White and Lely Fano. I have to say, I'm less worried about Genia than Foley, but, I mean, Foley not having really played since the South African game, the first game of the season, just looks a bit out of sorts and just hasn't had the match time. I just think this was his one opportunity to maybe give Christian a bit of a, a shake, but I think mm. he's he's lost that for sure. And maybe now he'll start some of the, the lesser pool games for the Wallabies, but I think Christian's going to get the first two at least in the World Cup and we'll go from there depending on our success. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, for me, the centres are still 100% set with Karevi and Jock, James O'Connor. He came on late, James, and in that game and had a few very nice touches a bit of a saver at the end when taking down like a really wide pass and still managing to unleash sort of, I think it was Banks or DHP wide and a couple other nice silky just quick offloads across the front of his chest um, to help out. So I think Karevi's 100% set and I can't see a way past putting Jock in. I still think, I still want to see TK. It's very, um, I think it's unfortunate he didn't get a run in this game, even off the bench. And the fact they played AAC for so long, I just think that TK should have started in this one to give him a bit of an opportunity to show his wares. But they haven't done that. But they still included him in the squad, so he is going to be there. And again, he'll probably feature in, in some of the easier games. But um, look, yeah, Jock probably hasn't done too much wrong to actually lose that spot. And he's shown pretty good form, even in this one when he came on. And you know, I, I still think against a bigger centre, maybe Jock might struggle, but he, his technique and his defence 
Um, we're talking about you know people reading defence and and thirteen being so important. I think Jock's really been pretty influential in that, and I think that overall in thirteen now we have TK Jock and AAC that are all pretty good defenders. So not too worried about that that spot um, overall. Jock just seems to get that little bit of extra uh, play out of every backline attack he's involved in. Like he's he's breaking half a tackle and getting a ball away, and I just don't see someone like TK doing that as much. Now, they're different types of players, and I haven't seen much of TK recently, but I think that's something we haven't had at outside centre, and it is a little bit exciting to to think that the backline plays aren't going to break down in those centre channels as often. Like there's there's opportunity to slip the ball out, and he's been phenomenally consistent with with just getting the ball out um, and, and passes that I would have probably been a bit conservative and said, oh, we shouldn't really be throwing those passes, but he's landing them. He's he's making meters. He's crossing the game line. I'm, I'm mm. pretty impressed. And again, all from the position of why are we bringing this guy in? We haven't seen anything of him. Having had it happen, um, it's it's, it's worked it. out. It's yeah, it, it is a, the decision. It still was a strange move because he said he wanted to be a 12, and suddenly he's at 13, and he's performing. But he is he is more of a linking player, and he you've got to remember he started at 10 against the Lions back in. 2013 yeah he played all three tests at 10 so he's got that skill set um i was just worried about a bit about his size at 13 against some of the bigger centers in the world but it doesn't seem to be an but issue what, what centers are you thinking got... like are you thinking the inside centers of different teams because most outside centers now aren't well that even big. someone like jonathan davis is a huge guy he's about that's probably the biggest like one he's going to come up against two. isn't it yeah yeah but you're right. Most of the biggest centres now are playing twelve guys like Tuolangi, hmm. um, you know, Tuolangi. Yeah, yeah. So we've got we're similar mould now. We've got Karevi there at twelve, which is a, he's a mainstay, and then we've got more of a linking player at thirteen. Hmm. So the ball does actually get out to guys like um, Karabidi, guys like Reese Hodge, who I think will be on that right wing. Um, just before, fact, just before we go yeah, on. What did you guys yeah. think of um, Adam Ashley Cooper in this game? Because I've seen a lot of people being very positive about his defense um, late in the game. Uh, people think looked, that he looked. I think he looked better than he did for the Waratahs this year. But I think that just comes down to conditioning. I think coming out of Japan and and at his age, he's going to take a, a little bit longer to get back up to speed for international play. And I think early on. He didn't show too much during the the domestic season, but I think now that he's had like consecutive months with the Wallabies, he's getting back to what he was. But I, yeah, I wouldn't say he's he'd still be my third pick, thirteen. Mm. Um, I'm not going to re- overreact. Like this is a a game against Samoa where a lot of parts of the game Samoa were pretty hopeless. Really, like that talk about combinations and passes going awry. Like Samoa looked just as out of sorts as the Wallabies did. For most of this game, I don't think Adam Ashley Cooper or anyone in that 13 channel would have been as tested as in recent weeks where we've been playing the All Blacks and Argentina and uh, South Africa. So I, I don't want to overreact. I think he's a serviceable 13 in most situations, particularly against a Tier 2 team. And he's there as experience and, like I said, a third string as, a, as an ultimate backup. If you have a real torrid time, you lose... You lose James O'Connor against Fiji. TK comes in and gets a concussion. He's like, oh, Jesus, what, what are we going to do now? 
he's there as the ultimate coverage. It's a bit of like Kepu. It's like Rob Simmons. Like they won't let you down generally, but they're, they're really not going to win you the, the critical games against the tier one nations. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. That's a yeah. good statement. I think, look, he deserves probably to be there um, overall um, because he is flexible and he adds a lot to the group and he's, you know, calm headed. He's a veteran, but is yeah, he still flexible though? Week to week. I think he, look, he can cover 15 wing and 13 and that's important. And I know we have quite a few players like that at the moment. DHP, Reese Hodge, mm-hmm. um, even Kirtley, Jock. Like we've got a lot of versatile players. So that's not necessarily what mm. we need. We probably need more specialists, but the fact is he's probably not going to feature in a lot of the 20 day, no, 23, match day 23 teams in this World Cup unless we get into injury trouble, like you say, Leo. Speaking of teams where we don't have many, or positions where we don't have many specialists, and the wingers, I think Marika proved that he's a cut above the rest. He probably should have been someone that um, could have had a rest on the weekend, but showed how good he is running into and over players and around several Samoan players to score his try early then. Um, Reese Hodge, the other winger, are we still coming down to Reese Hodge and Marika there? Yeah, I think that's... From what the selectors have done, particularly in this game, I think he's locked in. They don't want to risk injury with him. Um, he's... he. I prefer him to DHP, I would say that. And if you're not going to pick someone like Banks and, and risk him on the wing, I think... Reese Hodge probably has the finishing ability and he's got a, a big boot on him. He's he can cover fullback, so he's probably a bit of our Ben Smith at the moment. If you're gonna play Curly at fifteen, I think it's probably okay to have Reese Hodge on one ring, given that we've got Corabidi on the other. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with that. Um unfortunately I think Banks being in and out and then just lately back in hasn't probably helped his game. He he looked um, well, he's not going to Japan, so he's kind of out of out of contention. No, that's right. That's right. He is, but but it's. I guess this was still one last effort. These guys have been with like a training squad, still involved, still around uh, the team. Um, you, you're not gonna you're not gonna change anything at fullback now. It is what it is, and I'm, I agree that you need someone with a reliable boot and a bit of utility value on one of the wings because Korobiti is definitely a specialist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Leah, what do you reckon bench-wise uh, take me through what we have? Because this is probably where the biggest question marks still are, where we sort of fill out our bench, how we split it. Well, I think it definitely depends on your position. I think there's a case to be made that we're going to mix our bench depending on what we're up against. If, we're, if we've got a bigger physical pack, um, maybe, I don't know if the Welsh really counters that. But say Fiji. Fiji are a more um, wide-running faster team we're not going to bulk up on big heavy running forwards so much so certainly the the split of the back row second row and maybe even the backs across your bench will probably be different game to game as a as a just a best sort of suits all purpose bench um we've talked about our our front row starting being pretty consistent i think our bench is very consistent as well falau fainga uh james slipper and taniel tupo don't think there's anyone that's going to debate that kepu again he's a veteran he actually looked quite good last night on on Saturday, but I think that was probably the moment. You know, he's put, putting out his last game in Australia, so he really lifted that. Good to know he can do it, but I don't think he's going to make the bench spot most of the time. Uh, my first pick for the bench uh, 
second row is Adam Coleman over Rob Simmons. Again, I just think he adds a bit more physicality, a bit more energy, but Rob Simmons is there as your ultimate backup in, in desperate need. This is this is the point where it gets kind of tricky because I think if you started Luke Hahn, I think Dempsey's a good ball runner. He's he's good over the ball in the rucks. He'll 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 um he'll chase a pill for here and there. Uh, I think they're going to want Pocock in and around that bench as well. I think particularly for the Fiji and the Wales games, they're definitely going to want Pocock there. I don't know what they'll use on the on the lesser games. Whether they'll bother putting him out there just for maintaining a bit of match fitness, but. I think you probably have probably Dempsey and Pocock there. So you're going the six two split. Yeah, drop the nine off. So you got to drop Genny off, off the bench. No, he's still going to no, have no. a special half back as well. So you have one back. Genny and just the one. Yeah, I, oh, I think enough. again, They're but it depends. Yeah, Ugh. well. Ugh. It, de- it really uh, depends, and that, that's what I mean. It's going to be different depending on who your opposition is. So you might not bother with that against Fiji. You might say, look, um, Dempsey, have a rest. We don't we don't need you for Fiji. We're going to pick the extra back because our guys are going to do a lot more running around, and we want to have some support for an inside and an outside back. Then you're going to end up with probably Tamua, and then it's – I just don't know where Jordan Patea fits in. I really want to see more of Jordan Patea, but I don't think he's going to get the opportunity against Fiji. So it's probably a DHP, isn't it? Or maybe an Adam Ashley Cooper. It's going to be AAC, isn't it? I can see it now. This is the thing with all, these, with all these utility guys and and what I think they see as a value in, in Tamur and Adam Ashley Cooper. I, just, I, don't, I don't see them being able to justify DHP over Adam Ashley Cooper Ooh. or... Foley no. over Tamua. I just, I just they think don't... they'll see the versatility of those two guys and be like, oh, they can cover more positions and and they're yeah. really reliable. I mean, are they really? But I think that's the perception. So I think that's what will happen. I think they're vanilla. I think they just they like you said they fill in. They don't make too many mistakes, but they don't win you games either. I I struggle to remember when DHP has been selected on the bench. Like he tends to start or he's not in the twenty three. That's right, exactly. Um, so I think you're right. I think. But I don't think we'll actually go with a, a four-dominated split. I think we'll go with that general split we have all season. We haven't. Um, we've kept three backs on the bench at all times. I think we'll stick with that. Uh, but yeah, then it's difficult with Dempsey and Pocock. I think that's where it becomes an issue. But I, I would see Genia, Tamura, and then yeah, it's probably going to be AEC there because you now don't have guys like Banks there. I'd love to see Patea just get that opportunity because he can cover thirteen. He can cover wing. Um, and he's just a dynamic player, and he's going to bring a lot of energy. As long as he's injury-free, he's going to come on and score tries. So I think he needs that opportunity, but whether he's going to be fit, whether his hamstring's right, we don't know that yet. And I can see it coming later. So Adam Ashley Cooper for Fiji, say, because he's reliable, he's been there before, um, hopefully just you know not going to make mistakes. And then through the weaker teams, you get the chance to develop Patea, give him a chance and if he looks hot shot then he gets in for Wales yeah well that's the same I'm, game though with Wales that's the problem yeah I, I can foresee oh is it really I didn't realise that yeah. yeah yeah. so I can foresee uh, okay. exactly what you're saying Leo that they start off with Adam Ashley Cooper on the bench for the first two and then Patea once they're confident in his fitness um, he works his way into that um, 23 yeah. for the quarterfinals through the next couple of sort of pool games that they're a bit more confident against people like Uruguay, people like Georgia there. 
So does it's that not mean ideal. that it's Wales Fiji is the last pool match for our pool? Is that the one? Because it's always a decider. It's always trying to set up who's going to be runner up or winner. Or I'm not sure. They but haven't. They be, haven't done right. that this year because that's the same thing. The same reason that the first game for pool uh, B is South Africa New Zealand. Like it's a lot of these games in the first get first match uh, for. Um, England, Argentina are playing very early on in their pool as well. They're playing a lot yeah, of these look, games straight up and early on. If you, if you look at the later half of the pool games, it's actually almost a bit like we know what's going to happen. Last, it's predictable. And yeah. may have made a mistake here in terms of the way they've you know scheduled these games because we start with such a bang. That first weekend is ridiculous. And then it just goes a little bit, little bit downhill until we hit the finals. However, it does mean that teams can um, get through a couple of big games with full fitness, freshish guys, and presumably everyone's been warming up. And then what? You get a couple of easier games to just roll through a few scenarios, yeah, and then just, you go into the quarters. It's a bit more. The issue is so, understood who you're going to play. Yeah, but that's the thing. I think it becomes less exciting because, like, all right, we already know who's going to be the top two in each pool early on. Um, but you know. It is what it is. In the, in the end, this is the high, most highly contested World Cup. So if we get into a stage where everyone's got a healthy team come quarterfinals time, that's probably a really exciting thing to have. So I don't mind too much if it's a little bit lax in the sort of second half of the pool stages um, with these teams ramping up for a big final series because it's going to be so I mean, competitive. If, if we're honest, it's only really pool C, the pool of death that's... Um, really under threat, say, with France, Argentina and England, you know, one of those teams is going to miss out and we don't know exactly which one it's going to be. We suspect England will top the pool there, but, you know, it's those other two teams where you can't predict it yet. Um, The other three pools, I'd be pretty confident that the top two in each that we know already, the the, the strongest teams are going to get through. So. But it all depends on where they where they come, and I'm sure there'll be some upsets coming up through in those, just like we saw Japan do to South Africa last um, World Cup back in England. Speaking of which, they did obviously take down Japan in their other pool game. They're already in Japan. The Wallabies are now flying to Japan, probably in flight as we record this, and everyone's going to be there for a couple of weeks before we actually start this tournament. Are we? Do we think that the Springboks have had the best preparation, the best run into this tournament? I do. Yes, I absolutely but do. I'd caveat that with, you know, things were going very, very well for them, and and lately there's been a couple of incidents. One with Evan Etzebeth off the field. I think he pulled a gun on a homeless guy. That's the story. That's anyway. the story, but it hasn't been confirmed. No charges hasn't have been, been down, and he's still still been named in the squad, but. Yeah. yeah, he's still in there, but then Deante as well. is now banned for two positive, testing positive to illicit substances. Lion rage. I mean, it's steroids, yeah. I think. So it's not like he's doing cocaine on the side, like he's actually doing something that is transforming his body. Mm. Um, and whether that's in reaction to him being struggling with a few injuries or not, but it did come out of Lions Camp, and then it wasn't during the Springboks preparations, I don't think. I think it was earlier in the year. Yeah, but... it was taken earlier in the year, I believe. And yeah, it, does, it does fall into question 
with the Lions a little bit, whether there's going to be any other players that are involved in this or it's just him doing it of his own accord. But We did um, we did joke that, about this back a couple of years ago, just their players and just the ferocity and fitness that they all had. And we were just like, they look like there's something going on. So turning guys were quite average and then suddenly they're superstars and they just don't stop. They can run all day. And we have seen recently the Lions have kind of, a lot of their players have come off the ball quite a lot, even guys like Malcolm Marks. But, um, you know, you can't speculate about that too much. I just think that those two issues might distract their squad a little bit. But in terms of the way they've prepared, apart from that, their depth, the strength in every position, I think they they barely have a weakness there. And I think we're right to think that they could really push the All Blacks in, the, in this pool game. But um, I do think that the All Blacks, although they've started slowly this year, I think they're still the form team. I think they will be the hardest team to beat at this World Cup, for sure. Speaking of which, in this game, they obviously stayed with their smaller, faster wingers. You didn't. You had Rico Iwani, still remains not in the starting team for this game. You had the debut of Josh Iwani, finally, uh, who looked pretty lightning, actually, setting up a couple of tries for George Bridge to give him his or three of his four tries in this game. Do you think they stay with Severis George Bridge for the World Cup? Do you reckon that's their starting wingers? Yeah, I reckon it's it is. It's that way. It's interesting. I know that Richie's injured. It's whether they think, okay, is, is Ben Smith's not up to it anymore? He looked decent on the weekend, I would say. Um, or are they going to go straight back to Bowden at 15, Richie at 10, and those Crusaders boys are still your wingers? And then you might have Crotty in there 12. Not sure. Sonny Bill. Crotty looked remarkably good coming back from his obviously hand injury. Uh, so yeah. I think I'm I'm tending towards the fact that I think that's going to be their starting team, at least for South Africa, um, whether yeah. they try and mix it up after that. But I think they may not continue with this Bowden-Moanga experiment um, in that probably most important game in these first couple of weeks. The Bowden Moanga experiment, it still to me feels like they've recognized how talented particularly those two guys are. They want to get them on the field in some way. Is that an, it's an Australian they, move, having, isn't it? It's what the Wallabies yeah, trying to do. Sort of. It's, it's, it's a poke or Cooper thing. Cake, trying to have your cake and eat it. Like you've got to accept that sometimes there isn't an ideal combination to get all these superstars on the field. Just be happy with what you've got. You've got two guys you can pick basically it's an A or a B. It's it's not much of a a difference between the two, and and really you've got combinations between Moanga and the Crusaders boys, and you've got a bit of a bit more pace and and maybe some flair from from Bowden. Like you can have you can have um, you know forty minutes or fifty minutes and thirty minutes of each. Like I don't see it as a valuable um, move to put Bowden at the back. I feel that's too disruptive. I know he can do it, but is he the best at it? And I think Ben Smith's probably still got it. I probably agree with you. And I think that, I mean, Richie Moong is forming Super Rugby forced their hand a little bit, but he hasn't played to the standard of what he was doing for the Crusaders for the All Blacks yet. Um, so I would be happy to drop him back to the bench, I think, and keep Bowden at 10. And like we say, just maybe roll with that back three that we saw on the weekend. I still think it's an issue with, with selections for them. I mean, Goodhue at 13 has been kind of the guy that they've they've gone to in big matches. Um, Anton Leonard-Brown is just so flexible, so it's good to have him around. But I think Sonny Bill-Williams and Ryan Crotty, that's going to be a really hotly contested number 12 spot. 
even though I think now Lamarp he's not even in the squad, so there's no. not that extra element. But um, look, four really quality centres there. It's just finding the right combination of guys, um, and I think that will depend on whether you start Richie and Bowden as well. The makeup of that centre pairing. Yeah, and I I dare say we you know, haven't seen Richie and Bowden on the t- field together with Crotty at twelve, and I think Crotty at twelve will make Richie's play probably improve just because there's yeah. that familiarity between those two. Speaking of yeah. those World Cup squads have been announced, there's been a few people that have been left out of it, some of these squads. And, I mean, is there anyone that you think is the biggest sort of disappointment that you're not going to see them at the World Cup? You've had people like Devon Toner for Ireland, Hugh Jones uh, for Scotland, Danny Kerr for England, and Ben Teo not making it. Obviously, Lau Marpi we've talked about, Banks. Lots of people be missing out. Even Argentina left out... Uh, Diaz Bonisha from their World Cup squad as well. So a few big names missing out that we're not going to see in this World Cup. And I'll tell you what, it's definitely not Danny Care. I, I don't. You don't care, care for him. At all. I don't care for him oh. at all. He's um. He's now do it for Ben Tio. He's not my uh, cup who, of who cares? Tio. Go back to the NRL. <laughs> I mean, he plays for Worcester. No one cares. Um, you know. I think, look, England, England are in good shape. I, in terms of guys missing, I don't know. I think La Marpie's always someone that I really enjoy watching, but it's just hard. They've got so much competition there in, in the centres. You can see why they, they've left him out. I, I'm sad. I won't see Hugh Jones. I remember watching him when Scotland upset England back down at Twickenham and he had an absolute blinder, and he's had a bit of a tough go with some injuries and getting back, but I thought he was a really good part of that. Uh, Scottish backline that's not been working well in the last sort of few weeks, and I and I worry for Scotland. I really do in that pool, and versing Japan, I reckon they might have their work cut out for them to try and make it to the quarters. Yeah, I I agree. I, I actually I'm if we go through our um our tips for the World Cup, which I think we're going to do next pod. I'm I'm definitely seeing opportunity for Japan there to slip in as runners up in their pod, uh, in their in their pool. Sorry, mm. that would be huge. Huge. Yeah, and I'd be deserving too. I mean, they've been really on the up. They've brought in all the right coaching and support staff. They've put a lot of time and effort into making their World Cup at home uh, successful as an event, but successful for their team and for rugby in that country. Um, Toby, I'm surprised you're not talking about Matthew Bustero in the in the French squad missing out, not hmm. getting to run on at eight for his. I, for I would blues. like him to see him at eight. He, <laughs> he's just so fat. He'd be so good. <laughs> Because that he's we know that's old, how man. we get good players. It'd just be like he's like one of those old school number eights. He's not quite fit enough, but you know, he can he can make a few good plays in a game. All <laughs> these guys now are just so ripped. Like you don't have anyone really carrying a gut around. Even the props are pretty lean. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think France. I don't really know what to make of them. I need to watch more of them to be honest, because I know that they have they have actually improved quite a bit this year. Um, but they're a bit of a basket case. You don't know what they're going to do game to game. It's it's difficult to read them, and mm. that's the thing they're excited because you don't know quite what you're going to get. And Argentina used to be a bit more like that, um, but yeah, a bit more consistent now. But there's a lot of good storylines I think coming into this World Cup, and just eager for it to get going. I think it's going mm. to be great. Really start with a, a good set of games and. Particularly for you guys, I think being over in the UK, the time zone isn't so great. A lot of the games are on, you know, mid-morning or something, and 
often I'll be at work or something. But for Australian viewers, it's actually really good with the, the timing of this, these games. So pretty jealous of you guys right now. <laughs> well, we will have, as Leah mentioned, a full preview of the Rugby World Cup coming up next week. Uh, on our pod so everything you'll need to know about every team in there who are the players to watch and what we predict to be the finish there Um, other news that we've had in the last couple of weeks we've had the shoot shield final back here in new south wales in sydney with sydney uni taking that out and other news already and i know leah was very excited to see in super rugby some teams already starting to name their squads for 2020 and particularly exciting for you leah the queensland reds wasn't it Oh, very much so. I've been talking up the Reds this last, oh, probably actually might be the last two years, and just the the style that they're playing, they're a bunch of young guys with a lot of belief. Brad Thorne's got a good thing going there, and they're locking down so many of their existing squad and, and just adding around the fringes, which for just consistency year to year, like this is going to be the third year that a lot of these guys are together. We've seen a few people slip out. People like Caleb Timu aren't in and amongst this squad anymore, but just some of the recent re-signings, they locked in Liam Wright, they lock in Angus Scott Young, um, they lock in Alex Murphy, who's another upcoming hooker who we're going to see a lot more of in future. Uh, they locked down Bryce Hegarty, who's a stable set of hands. He's playing a bit of 10 when Hamish Stewart or Isaac Lucas aren't in and around that position, but just, again, a, a good cross-section of experience and skill. I think it really he really adds something. Um, BPA, the other hookers also in there. So two guys vying for the starting lineup. Those guys are going to be around for a long time. Harry Hooper, another another strong front rower, um, who we've we've seen a little bit of, but it's probably just outside the the main group um, the last year or two. But he's mm. definitely up and coming, you know. And then all the big names. You got Taniela. You got James O'Connor. Um, people like Dalgunu is still there. Isaac Lucas is still there. Hamish Stewart is still there. All these guys are locked in. Isaac Rodder, I forgot to say. Um, Fraser McWright. That's, Fraser those McBride, are the people right. I'm yeah, very keen to see. Some of these under-20s that obviously had so much yeah. success coming into these they're teams. They're locking them all in. They're locking them and, in. And, and, and they're there for at least next year, a lot of them for two years, and some of them for more. And, yeah. and that's just such a good sign that, first of all, these young guys are enjoying their rugby in, this, in Queensland. They're not being drawn by probably money and offers and... Other other teams, you know, certainly I'm sure the Waratahs have been trying to snipe a few talented youngsters as they always do. Um, they're they're running with the Queensland development. They like Brad Thorne. They like the system, and they must enjoy playing with each other in in the red side because they wouldn't they wouldn't want to hang around and, and challenge each other for starting roles if they weren't enjoying the competitive nature of it. Mm. So I'm really excited for the Reds the next couple of years, particularly with this squad locking together and. I mean, it's such a shame that Samu Karevi's not going to be there. That would really be the thick layer of icing on top of a, a big red cake. And I guess James O'Connor will do a lot of good things while he's there, hopefully, based mm. on the form he's in now. And they've still got, uh, you know, Chris Fowler, Sortia, and I didn't even mention Jordan Patea. <laughs> and, like, there's just so, there's so, so many, many guys. So much potential here. So yeah. there's going to be a great foundation in the Reds for the Wallabies years to come. Yeah, I dare say I mean, that- it's... 2023 Rugby World Cup squad is going to be a lot of the names you just set out because there's so oh, many young, talented guys. I think it will yeah. be quite red heavy. So what are you thinking, Leo? Jock at 12 and Patera at 13 for the Reds? Does I would imagine nice? something like that. I, I think in, in the Reds at the Super Rugby level, you're probably missing out if you don't at least give um, 
give them a, a, an opportunity to be the centre pairing. If you start, you know, keep Jock out at 13 and Patea slips out to the wing, I think you're probably not getting him enough ball. Um, I didn't even mention Tate McDermott. Tate McDermott's still in that mix. So they've really, they could have, aside from uh, a national fly half, but they've certainly got some potential there uh, coming through. They've got what will be a very, very strong back line, 9 to 15. Uh, and all the forwards are getting locked back in. So, again, more consistency. They've still got the Smith boys there at prop, so they've got the depth there. What isn't the like? Oh, mate, the, the Waratahs need to take a look up north and see what they're doing because <laughs> Waratahs are entering a very, away, very, very slow rebuilding phase. Their depth is is falling apart. They've lost some key guys. They don't even have um, it's it's not looking great for the Tars going forward in the next couple of years, and they haven't even locked down a coach yet. So it's, um, it's going to be a tough year, I think, yeah. next year for them. If we look at the Rebels as well, they've lost Genia and Quaid, so very different to what we've seen this year with, with that Rebels outfit that showed so much promise but couldn't actually come through in the end again. Uh, and, yeah, Brumby's probably a better story, closer to say what the Reds are doing and, and building up with some good young talent, guys like Darcy Swain, yeah. Jerome Brown. So, yeah, Brumbies, I think, will will be decent. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how these squads finally come together. Uh, the Reds have pretty much done all the work they need to do, but Tars, I think, need to, need to look at their recruitment. Mm. And a few other names in, like I was already speaking about, the under-20s in the Reds, and a few other guys got a bit of a run-out. Uh, with Randwick, because they actually faced the Pumas over the weekend uh, down there at Kujioval. 74-0 in the end, the Pumas took them down. Uh, a little bit to be expected, but a few familiar old faces in Adam Fryer. Andrew Walker was there on the bench as well uh, for the the green machine there, as well as people like Will Harrison, uh, who is probably the other name that is a bit of a shining light for the Waratahs in the next couple of seasons, will probably look to be the new playmaker for that team. Uh, once we get a bit of a roll-on with some of these younger guys. So another name to look out for in the future and potentially when we're looking ahead to that 2023 World Cup. I keep forgetting Foley's gone, isn't he? He's going to Japan. Bye. He's gone. Yeah, that's it's weird because it hasn't been talked about as much and maybe that's because he's you know looking at coming back in a year or two time, a uh, year or two down the track. But it's... um. It's going to leave still a significant gap there at 10. Mm. Someone like Mac Mason hasn't been able to really um, light it up yet. So Will Harrison Will might Harrison, be the way to go. Definitely. All right, fellas, that's probably enough from us for this week. As I said, we'll go through a full Rugby World Cup in Japan preview come next week. All the teams, all the players, everyone to watch, everything you'll need to know ahead of this 2019 Rugby World Cup. So tune in next week for that. But until then, you can keep up with all the extra news from on Twitter, on Instagram, at Running Rugby Pod or Running Rugby Podcast, respectively, there. Or make sure you listen back to a few of our previous podcasts. You can hear what we've thought that the Wallabies have been doing right and how they're going to go into this World Cup. Uh, it's still a little bit up in the air what will happen. Um, but thanks for tuning in from Leo, Toby and myself. Keep on running. Run. Which is why I wouldn't have.
the selection headache, you've got to start David Pocock. Just shows how, how one dimensional Phil Kearns' off, fucking brain is. Yeah, I just saw he's that. He's meant as well. to be a Waratahs fan. No, but he's an he's an idiot because you don't have to start Pocock. There's many ways to skin a cat and just oh, he's good. You he have barely to start played him. in five months. He he didn't look that good. Like Hooper's been playing out of his. There's no way in hell Hooper's letting go of that number seven spot. And we're not going to compromise our back row by playing both of them. Yeah. We've done so, that. David Pocock, welcome to the bench. 